The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading for this morning is from Titus 3, 8 to 15. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You may be seated. Test one, two, three. All right. No? No or yes? No. Close your eyes. No, I'm just kidding. Fellas and ladies, we're going to figure out this microphone thing someday. Um, But until we do, we're not going to have it figured out. And that's all I have to say about that. Okay. Um, We are studying Titus, and we're concluding our study this morning. And it's been a good study. One of the reasons it's been particularly um, profound for us is because Paul was a church planter, and he's inviting Titus, a church planter, to think about how to transform a city with the gospel of grace. How to transform a city with the gospel of grace. And so that is what he's telling him. And what's so cool about what we have studied is that Paul tells Titus, if you want a church in the middle of a city that is very sinful and selfish, if you want a church to help transform the city, what you need to do is have the church members work on their own sanctification, their own fight with sin. That's helpful to us because what we have often as Christians adopted that we in the church are supposed to look at the city and tell the city about their sin, their lack of holiness, their lack of change. And Paul tells Titus that you have your church members start with you. Start with themselves. It's that humility. He's saying, how dare us as the church scream at the city 
if we're not going to be focused more on our own hearts and how we change. So Paul has explained to Titus that the secret to mission is humility. You will be humble before the city. And we'll talk about that here briefly. But he also says that we will be united before the city. And that's what this passage is about. We've talked about how we need to be humble before the city, but now we're going to talk about how we need to be united for before the city. I promise I don't line up the text for what's going on in the world. The Holy Spirit just does that. But can you imagine something more profound that we as the church need to wrestle with? It is a divided world, country, culture, and church. It's divided. Should we wear masks or not wear masks? Should we get vaccinated or not get vaccinated? Should we be a Democrat or should we be a Republican? Should we raise our kids in homeschool or in Christian school or in public school? Should our worship have a drummer in it or does a drummer startle the ears of God and is therefore unholy? I promise you as a church we can find a thousand things to fight about, to disagree with each other. And what Paul is saying to Titus is don't you dare let them fight. What we are doing as a church is more important than each and individual opinion. Paul has called us to say, you will be humble if you're going to be missional. And now he's going to say, we will be united if we're going to be missional. Would you pray with me? And um, I'll ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would transform us. If you don't move, it's just another sermon. It's just more words. I pray, God, that you will move in our hearts. And I trust that you will by your spirit. We want to be a humble church. We want to be a united church church. Would you make it so? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be able to hear it in my voice right now, but uh, I have bad allergies. And last night I was in Delano, Tennessee doing a wedding. Delano is like an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half from here. And it's this beautiful spot of land where the Hiawassee River runs right next to it. And it's this wedding venue. So the river is running through the scene and I'm standing in front of this beautiful trellis. The people are looking out at the river. It's woods and green as far as the eye can see in this really well-manicured lawn. And everybody's there in a great mood because we're having a wedding. The bride and groom are there and they're glowing and we're all excited. But because I was out in the middle of the wilderness and I have bad allergies, I was falling apart. There were times my eyes, I'm literally tearing at the side of my eyes and I just act like I'm so moved by everything that I'm just like this. <clears throat> and I felt a cough coming. And this is, you know, of course I'm mic'd up at this point. I feel the cough coming and it's one of those things you're like, I'm not, I'm not I can hold it back. I'm not gonna, 
no, I think I'll be fine. I don't need to cough. No, I'm going to cough. It's going to happen. It's going to, oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And so I'm walking them through the wedding ceremony and they're smiling and it's beautiful. In fact, there's kayakers behind me in the river who are doing the Hiawassee who stopped to watch the ceremony. And we're coming to a key point in the service and it's time to cough and cough hard. And I know that this cough is going to not sound very good. It's going to be too much. I forget where they put the microphone on me. And so as I begin to cough in the middle of the service, I turn like this as if to protect the microphone from my cough and instead pull the microphone directly in front of me and go, (laughs) and I turn back to see the people and they're all like, you see, we were having this beautiful, peaceful, serene ceremony and even people were coming to gather behind us to watch it. And then we had this intruder come and make itself widely known. Everybody just looked at me and I was like, that's my bad. That's on me. I'm sorry. This thing that interrupted the peace of the ceremony that made itself known and was loud. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here, there are people among you in your church and in your leadership who are going to be intruders, who are going to invade what is peaceful and become loud and distracting so that it wrecks the peace of the scene, it wrecks the momentum of the church. And just like that loud cough at a beautiful wedding ceremony, there's going to be conflict in your church and it's going to distract from the good things that are happening in the church. So Paul is telling Timothy to deal with it, to get the division, the divisive people, the divisive topics out of the church And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are not to let loud, divisive people, divisive issues take over our church. So first of all, he tells us what we're supposed to be doing. If you remember back in verse 8, where you can look look at it with me in your bullets, and it says... The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for people. Then glance down with me again in 14. He says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help with cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. What he's saying is, is that He wants the church, instead of fighting among each other, instead of focused on themselves, he wants the church reaching out to those that don't yet know and loving them and serving them with good works. And we know good works isn't just like holding open a door for somebody or good works isn't just kind of generally being a nice person. We can tell right from the text when he says in verse 14, do good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So there are some people who say, all you have to do is preach the gospel, preach the gospel. That's the main and only thing. And that's, that's what you have to do as a church. And there are other places, other churches and organizations that says you need to help 
with the justice and mercy needs of your city. You need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what you have to do. And what Paul is saying is that those are not mutually exclusive things. If you have been pursued by the love of God in Christ, if you have been given a new life and given a new record, you can't help but want to pursue others. He's saying they're not mutually exclusive, that they're both important and they're, be, they're to be held together. He wants us to do good works, to bless people, to be humble with each other, to be united with each other. And so there's two things he wants us to do. He wants us to avoid things that we avoid and things that we advance. Things that we avoid and things that we advance. Well, he says right there what we're supposed to avoid. Look with me in verses 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division and warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with that person, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. We must avoid foolish controversies. Now we know from studying the Bible that Paul did not have a problem with controversy. Paul could speak up. If it was a matter of the gospel, if someone's saying you add something to the gospel, Paul's ready for a fight. And we actually know from watching Jesus's life that when the religious elite had pulled away the realities of God from those who were downtrodden and poor, Jesus was ready for a fight. So he's not talking about the fact that the church can have no controversies. He's talking about the fact that the church should have not have foolish controversies, foolish things that they fight about over and over again. He's saying when you fight, you will not be as profitable and useful to the city that you can be. My children are watching the old uh, Little Rascals movie from 1994. It's on the van in the DVD player, and so for weeks I just listen to it. I can't see it, but I just hear it behind me. And it reminded me of this passage. This is how they start, the little rascals start their, their meetings. We are he-man woman haters. We feed girls to alligators. Our clubhouse burned down mighty low, but we've got a plan to make some dough. And then Buckwheat leads them in their mantra. I, a member in good standing of the He-Man Woman Haters Club, do solemnly swear to be a He-Man and to hate women, not to touch them or play with them unless I absolutely have to, and especially never fall in love. And if I do, may I die slowly and painfully and suffer for hours until I scream bloody murder. The organization has one rule, Never fall in love with a woman. But the problem is Alfalfa falls in love with Darla. And it starts to break apart the entire He-Man woman haters group. The dissension, the disagreement can rip the organization apart. And finally, as they're trying to decide how to move forward at the end of the movie, he says, I know I'm supposed to be a He-Man woman hater, but I'm a He-Man woman lover. And Buckwheat says, I know. And Alfalfa says, 
and I'm afraid it's only going to get worse. What he's pointing out to us is that when we have these rules and they are held at the top and front of an organization and then somebody doesn't align with that, it will split the organization. If you have to hate women to be in the Little Rassels Club, then it will split the organization. And what Paul is telling Titus is you can't let any of these rules, hating women or any other ones, raise to the top of the organization because if people have different opinions about them, it will split the organization. And that's what's going on is that you see these foolish controversies. He says it and describes it. These are the different ones. Controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Essentially what's going on is that they're taking these rules of Judaism, the ones that Jews have faithfully followed for their life, and then they've accepted Jesus as their Savior, and then they want to keep some of those Jewish traditions and rules as sort of the pathway into Jesus. But Jesus and his disciples and Paul have said, no, 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 no. That was one path in is Jews waiting on Jesus to come. But there are also those who are outside of the faith and they are now welcomed in. They don't have to go through the same traditions. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep up with the Jewish law and organizations. And what's going on here is that the Jewish leaders cannot handle it. They're saying, look at these Cretans. Do you see what they do on the weekend? Do you see what they do in their personal lives? Do you see how messed up they are? They need to kind of get right with us before they're allowed to get right with Jesus. And Paul says, no. We will not add steps to intimacy with Jesus and to welcomeness in the church because it's a distraction. We will not add steps. It's powerful. What Paul is saying is that you keep the gospel as the central motivation of the church and let everything else fall down secondary or further away even. One commentator points to Galatians where he says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but the only thing that matters is faith working through love. Another commentator said this, today this would include dogmatic positions that extend beyond the clear teaching of scripture, are bound to produce factions, even legitimate topics such as Sabbath observance, Christian child raising, dating versus courtship can produce overly dogmatic requirements and theories that go beyond the Bible and lead to recrimination. Well, those aren't our problems today, the ones that Paul was experiencing with Titus. It wasn't, will you be circumcised or not and still try and follow Jesus? For us, it's, it's will you be a Democrat or a Republican and follow Jesus? Will you wear a mask or not wear a mask and follow Jesus? Will you get the vaccination or not get the vaccination and follow Jesus? Will you have an electric guitar in church or not have an electric guitar in church 
in order to follow Jesus? Will you raise your children in Christian schools or in public schools? Will you posture yourself to the world as one who's telling the truth to them or will you posture yourself to the world of one who is giving them love? And over and over and over again, we all find ways to take our preferences or even friends, our convictions, and move it to the place of the gospel and say, this is the dividing line between you and me. And Paul says, I won't have it. Not in my church. What we're doing is more important than any one of your preferences or any one of mine. He says, you're up against it out there with a world that does not believe you. And you will win them over with your humility and with your unity. So what are the conflicts among us? Some of you may be sitting there thinking that I know it's not right to have conflict, but I'm right in this one. I'm right. The science or the Bible or whatever backs me up, I'm right. And to that I would say, who cares? Jesus was 100% right and we were 100% wrong and yet he still drew near to us. Being right doesn't excuse you from being a person who lays down your life for the sake of others. Jesus was right and he didn't break fellowship with us. There's a part in liturgical services that often they'll say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And then the audience will say, and also with you, or if you're in the South, also with y'all. What's going on in that is essentially it's often after the confession and the assurance of grace, meaning that we have God's assurance that we have grace. We have peace with him now that he has given to us uh, peace, that God and I are never on opposite sides again is what the gospel says. And then we're supposed to say, so that's this way, peace. And then we're supposed to say, and also with y'all. The peace that we're offering to each other and to those in the city that says, not only do we have peace with God, but if God can come all this way for me, I can come far enough for you. That we can have peace among us, not because we agree with everything, but because we've been rescued by one who was all right when we were all wrong and he came anyway. And what Paul is telling Titus here is, friends, we have to live like that. You have to protect our unity. It will be easy to sit back and throw rocks and talk about how the church doesn't talk about the things you want or sing the things that you want or do the things that you want. And I would just ask you to humble yourself to remember that what we're doing here as a church is more important than any one of our own personal opinions. The peace of the Lord be with us and also with those who don't yet know. Friends, Paul wants us to be a church of the city, and so he tells us to be humble, and then he tells us to be united. What we're doing here together is more important than any one of your or my individual preferences. And then he says, avoid controversies, foolish controversies, and avoid divisive people 
And then he says, advance God-honoring friendships. Advance God-honoring friendships. Listen to this in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they lack nothing. It could seem like when you get to the end of some of these letters to Paul, you're like, oh, this is the part that doesn't apply anymore. I can stop reading. But look closely at what he did. He talked about the fact that we can't be divided. We can't be divisive. And then he says, and look at these buddies of mine who are walking with me. Artemis, Tychius, Zenos, Apollos, all these guys are united, working together for the sake of the gospel versus the ones who love to stir up controversy. Paul is kind of contrasting those that love to stir up controversy and those that, even though they're different, are working together for the sake of the kingdom. Who is close enough to you in your life to help nudge you down the road of advancing the kingdom? encouraging you in sadness, challenging you when you need it, gently and humbly, who is near enough to you. <coughs> At least it's easier to do that when I have a microphone in my hand. Who are the ones in your life who are going to be able to walk with you and love you, support you, just as Paul has these friends here? So you have God-honoring friends, and we'll close here. They have a God-honoring purpose. The last portion of the verse in 14, he says this. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. He says, be careful to devote yourself. Plan for it. Be intentional. Work at it. What he's saying is if you want to be the kind of church that can be alive and thriving in a broken city, then you have to have a plan. You work at it. You prep. You do good. Again, the biggest thing that we have wrong as Christians is that we think God saved us in order that we could get really holy and then feel really holy. But God saved us in order that we might get holy so that we could bless those who are far off. Randy Pope says that without a goal as a church, it's like shooting an arrow way up into the air and wherever it lands going bullseye. What we need to do is to say we're going to be humble, we're going to be united, and we are going to do good works for those who so desperately need it. That's going to be bullseye for us. To do what is good, to provide urgent needs, and to be productive. My son played on Chattanooga Sports Ministry soccer team, and that's an organization that uses athletic engagement and the gospel to bless kids, often kids who are underprivileged. And recently they had an end-of-year party, and... 
they had two teams and we were honoring each of the kids and they had an award for each and every kid. And this isn't one of those lame participation awards. The coaches had sat down and written out a little paragraph for each kid talking about his strengths and, and how he contributed to the team and how he contributed to the whole ministry. And you have these kids here who are watching and the coach starts to describe the person he's saying without using their name. And the kids are guessing at it, who it might be. Remember some of these kids, not everybody has a, a male presence in their life who is positive. And yet here we all gathered at this picnic and as these wonderful coaches talk about these young guys and then they'll finally call them forward you see them get called forward and all of a sudden they get a little sheepish and they march down the center aisle and the whole place is going nuts just pounding on their table cheering at the top of their lungs and you see a little bit of pride and a little bit of embarrassment in these boys because they've never had someone before them before and now they've got a room full of people screaming for them. And I'm sitting there at a children's soccer picnic tearing up because I thought this is what the church should look like. What if we could be a church known for what we're for, not known for what we're against? What if we could go and find those who have less than we do and cheer for them and be for them and pursue them? That we could be the people that made them feel loved and accepted and welcomed. And Paul has said to Timothy, we are going to be humble so that we can be missional. We are going to be united so that we can be missional. We did not get holy for our own sake. We got holy for the sake of others. Friends, that's what we want. A church that is humble, a church that is missional, a church that is united, that exists for the sake of those who aren't here yet. May God make it so in this place. Let's pray. Father, we want to be the kind of church who, know, who is known for what we're for not what we're against. We want our little divisions to become so unimportant to us that we can't see anything but the gospel and the people that need to hear it. We ask that you would make it so in this new church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.